Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Today, we're talking about careers. And my guest, Robert Allen, is the current global head of talent, experience, and people ops at Atlassian. Rob grew up in Brussels before moving to the UK for studies and the start of his recruiting career. This guy is a purebred recruiter, which is something fascinating, which we'll get to in a little bit. And he began his career in search, working first for a multinational agency in London. And there he focused on recruitment for management consultancies, namely the big four, you know them, Deloitte, EY, within their tech consulting firms. And then he went on to join Accenture in his first in-house role, and more recently, SunGuard, Red Hat, and his current company, Atlassian. And he's been fortunate enough to work on projects all over the world, including the U.S., Belgium, Morocco, France, the Netherlands, U.K., India, blah, 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 all over the world. I could probably name him a million places. This guy has been there and done that. Um, but the experience around those travels is really what's important. We'll certainly dig into that. Um, and today he is the head over at Atlassian. And he's leading talent over there. I'm really going to dig in and talk about how he builds teams, builds culture, and how they're managing COVID over there. And he's globalized experience and influence, and we're glad to bring that experience to the conversation as well. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Let's get to it. Thanks, Adam, and thanks for that intro. I usually have a mariachi band and a DJ and a smoke machine and all that kind of fun stuff, but we'll Co just have COVID to settle. COVID has changed everything. COVID it has really has. Everything. It has. It's, it's a new norm. So first question here. And you and I spoke about this offline during our first conversations, but I'd love if you could share, like, how'd you, I mean, how'd you choose the path of recruiting? I mean, you're, you're one of the, the, the few, you know, a lot of people fall into recruiting or they come about it from a different angle. How is talent and people you're calling? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I, and I think the recruiting found me or I fell into it is still true to some degree. So I don't want to uh, pretend that this has been my path from the beginning. I would, I would anchor the reasoning uh, more in why I stayed in it. So I, I kind of had my foray into recruiting at a, uh, a reasonably young age and, and, and I, the, the marrying up of working with people, finding their true passion, um, seeing all design from the outside and how you're able to leverage new talent for the business to go and help that all design, that was all really speaking to me. And, um, if I did, if I wasn't in a job where I was interacting with people every single day, I'd, I'd be pretty bored. And I, I think that the people are certainly what, what's kept me in it. But really, the strategic influence that recruiting recruiters, HR teams in general can have on the furthering of a business and its objectives is, is really what interests me the most. That's fantastic. And, and what I really love is your is your global perspective. I mean, as I mentioned before, all the countries that you lived and worked into, how do you how, how is that? a real true advantage in the world of recruiting? What kind of perspective and vision and angles does that give you? Um, 
the ability to see things from multiple sides is very important and operating in those countries was one thing but learning the cultures and how to operate within the cultures was another the more that you the more that you can get a diverse understanding of how different people in across the globe operate the more you can start to bring people together in a more effective manner the more you can act as a middle person to ensure successful transactions and the more empathy you have really to understanding what motivates people um, and then how they want to pursue you know whatever role they want to pursue and if we think about the global landscape as such you know we 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 live in very diverse communities let's take engineering for one in the bay area right. it's, it's really diverse you don't have to travel around to get no. diversity and to get balance and to get in interaction with with those cultures but certainly what what i enjoyed the most about that part of my career was the ability to be parachuted into something new and understand it from the people perspective and really understand what people what makes people tick and then let's talk about those nuances for a little bit because we know that Work culture, work norms, um, hierarchy, procedural is different in every single country in, in, in many different ways. So tell us a little bit what that's like, you know, if you're going from one country to another and there's nuances. And we're not even just talking about the language and cultural barrier, but really around the hiring process, the interview process. I mean, how does that give us I'd love if you could share an example of maybe one extreme, how it differs from one place to another in your career. Yes. Um, I mean, I could start with two, two opposite ends of the spectrum. So pivot to Morocco, uh, where I worked uh, on a project with, with Accenture. Um, and the, pro the recruiting processes that worked um, in, that, in, in that organization that, that I was a part of at that time were extremely strict. Um, we followed a very, very long recruiting process. It was very hierarchical in feel. And it was about uh, the onus was on, is this individual good enough for us versus how can we make this a bit more of a two way street? And then I pivot to my experiences in the United States uh, at all of the organizations I've been with in the US, to be uh, to be to be frank, where it's more of a two way approach. It's flatter. It's there's less emphasis on the hierarchy. And we are trying to sell the candidate as much as the trying to try to kind of test the candidate. And I think for me, if I if I remember the first kind of moments where I knew I wanted to leave Europe, it was coming up against this hierarchical scenario. Every single person who was in a senior role was 30 to 40 years my senior. And uh, whilst that's not an issue, and I learned a tremendous amount from those people. Of course. I didn't feel it was as much based on merit as it, it potentially could have been. And I've really spent my time when interviewing for new opportunities delving deep into the organization's culture as it pertains to how we reward success and looking at the leadership, how, how, how balanced is that group from in many different ways, but one of them also, you know, how much is this clearly a, mer clearly a meritocracy over, you know, your, your classic hierarchy. And that's a fantastic perspective. So how did, how did you, in, in, in your career, from your seat, how did you internalize that? How are you able to shift from not just organization to organization, but even making the shift from when you went from when you when you came from from the U, from Europe over to the states, how did that mindset change? You know, what was that like internally for you? Um, was it easy? Was it was it something because you you wanted it and you were craving it that it like and it was there for you? Did that make it smoother? I mean, where were the challenges? Well, I have to give credit where credit's due to the organizations because 
in in tech, I think we are um, we're moving so fast at all times that there's so many opportunities out there for people to go and grab and make something of and then make something of themselves. And I think I was very fortunate to fall into the environment that I found. So I, I want to be very transparent with that. That's fair. I I think from my side, um, I've always wanted to take risks within my career. And those the way that those risks have translated is um, putting my hand up for opportunities at any given time. And so I suppose I wanted to test the theory. You know, can I can I go and take these risks and really put my all into work in these different places and, and see the success that I felt that I wanted to, to, to have? Um, and so I feel like I internalized what was annoying me about Europe and then went to test it out in the US and and, and really just put my hand up for everything and um, got as much experience in, in, many, in, in as many different ways as I could. Um, and I felt like that 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 has paid dividends now as I as I think about the opportunities that have been awarded to me that I'm very fortunate to have. I love that perspective. And I think there's so many lessons there for for anyone in this industry. So, you know, when, when you when you come into an organization and I'd love if you could share, you know, and especially as you climb the ladder in your career and seniority, you know, those first 30, 60, 90 days, you know, what was your approach to coming into an organization to really assess the landscape, to kind of do an analysis and see the best way for you to acclimate, infuse, and, and make an impact? Well, I'm sure I made a good deal of mistakes in those first 90 days, so we'll get that out there. Well, let, well but, let's, pause, let's pause there. Tell, tell, let, before we get to the good stuff, tell us about, you know, I, I love sharing failures. I mean, there's nothing better than a good failure yeah. story on the show. Let's talk about it. any point in your career when you were coming into an organization where maybe you assumed something, maybe you didn't read something right, and, and you made a mistake, and you had to course correct. So our founder talks about having strong opinions loosely held. Um, I just had the strong opinions part. So I, when I came in, um, you know, let's let's take Atlassian for an example. I, I, I as an example, I, I definitely knew what the model should look like. Uh, I definitely knew how we could get there, uh, but I didn't put a much as much time as I should have into the change management and into the storytelling. We knew that um, there was room for improvement on the recruiting side. Uh, the founders knew it, the management and exec teams knew it. I didn't spend enough time storytelling and defining a timeline and really explaining the craft. If I had done that better, I would have set the team up better for success. Now, I can't fault where the team is today and all of those talented people that were with me in the beginning, the majority of them are still here now. And so we've been able to learn together and make those mistakes together. But I am very, very, uh, you know, I, I am reminded of that phrase, strong opinions loosely held a lot during my career, because um, the, the, those first 90 days are for listening and learning, they're not for telling. And that that Critical. really goes that really goes into in, into anything uh, that I do now, I really try, and I've just taken on a, a few new functions, I, I really try to learn before, um, before delivering any 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 value necessarily, and that's because the people who are in these roles are, are craft professionals, and they've been in there for a while. So, as a new leader, it's about also trying to find out where you can add value uh, and in, ensure that you're not railroading and you're not um, you're not respecting what's gone before you. Um, respecting the history of it. 
And and how do you and how do you go about you know when you come into an organization it's almost like a, a player getting traded in in sports you know how do you come in and, and assess the talent assess the team and really figure out the best way to not just acclimate but you got to build trust especially as a people leader you got to build trust within that team and then you need to start to you know you there are things that you're going to want to change in that like what is that like yeah um, I think there's the old phrase curiosity killed the cat. And like, if you translate it to recruiting is curiosity makes the recruiter. Um, the the cu curiosity is, I think, humility and curiosity are the, are, the, are the two themes that I think you need to carry through when you join any form of organization or team. You may have your, um, your ideas or your theories about what may have happened before, um, but the empathetic listening um, with a dabble of humility as you as you join any group or go into any situation, to be frank, is absolutely imperative because it will influence um, and I'll influence you and ultimately make for a better end product. That is that is such sound advice. So let's talk about building teams. Um, and this is a question I love to ask. So you have a brand new recruiter on your team literally day one coming into an organization. Maybe they've done sourcing before, maybe they're coming from the agency side, but they're, now, they're, now they're coming in-house. What is, what is that golden piece of advice that you wanna to give to that new recruiter on day one to be successful, to really set you know, her or him up for, for success? Your hiring manager has a job to do and you have a job to do. And as such, it's a level playing field. Use that level playing field to be curious and ask as many questions as you can to put yourself in the best particular best possible position to fulfill your role. And the reason I would start there is because there tends to or can be a dynamic between hiring managers and recruiters that I think puts us at the back foot from the beginning. Always. I am a true believer that recruiting is a craft. It's its own craft and everyone who partakes in recruiting um, has various skills that they need to employ um, to really get the job done. And I'm smirking here for anyone just listening, and I'll get to my point in a minute, but I'm loving all this. Um, so I think that the establishment of the level playing field, or one of the, sorry, one of the tools in which you establish a playing field is by asking lots of questions. Demonstrate curiosity, demonstrate interest. The job description might look the same to the one that you hired five months ago at a different company, but there are so many nuances per company that you'll be well served going back through that process each time. So I would say, be confident, have have and and have and back yourself um, to in those initial conversations. Yeah, sound advice, and I'm smirking here because one of the qualities that I look for in candidates, in friends, in acquaintances, and business partners is being inquisitive, being naturally inquisitive, really wanting to know why and how, but asking the good questions, right? I mean, what do they say? There's no such thing as a stupid question. Um, you know, I I, I believe in that, and and I love people that always want to find out the how and the why, and they take the steps to figure things out themselves. But also in the same breath, they're humble enough to know when they may not know the answer to something, and instead of just assuming it and going down the wrong path, they can raise their hand and ask those questions. And I think that that's really important when it comes to recruiting, because a lot of times, listen. A good recruiter is going to know a lot about the field that they're working in. I mean, that's niche specialization for sure there, too. But we're not going to know a lot of the nuances that a hiring manager may know. And I always like to say, too, like, you know, I, I ask my hiring managers, what are some questions that you ask in an interview that I could potentially use as a screener, as a red flag to help close that aperture, to really focus the search for you? And I think that's really smart for, for recruiters out there. I mean, what, what are some of those pieces that, that, that you kind of, you know, 
advise your recruiting team to really connect better with the hiring managers to understand the roles? So I think um, a lot of what curiosity, so curiosity is just a, a, it's a, it's a good thing to employ as you go through these conversations and all of that information ultimately helps depict and, and, and tell a story that you then take and, and, and is part of the way that you sell and interact with candidates. And I know you had Brendan Brown on a few months ago and, and Brendan is a huge proponent for storytelling in general within the craft of recruiting. Uh, and I completely agree with him. And the types of questions that you ask um, need to be about that individual and why they're in the role so you can get to understand them, but really allow them to tell the story about why this role is open and what not having this person means to their day to day, personalize it, really understand the, the background behind why this person is needed so that when you translate it on the other side to the candidate, you can really start to paint the picture and the value that this individual will bring the organization. That's a, it's a tremendous analogy. And, and, you know, whenever I talk about recruiting, I break it down to the art and science of it, to, to your point. And we talk about the art, we talk about the storytelling, we talk about the psychology, like truly understanding a candidate's motivation. That drives the process, understanding why a candidate is looking to make a move, all those factors that we all know and get into it. But let's talk about the science part for a little bit. Are you, are you a data guy? I mean, how much of a role does data play in the recruitment process in your organization? Um, so make a joke saying just double check my old bosses won't be listening to this. I would consider myself. <laughs> We're that, if we go back to old reviews, they won't hold it against you. Um, I would consider myself a data person now, but the opposite four years ago. I was a I was an emotions guy. I was a art guy. This is touch feel. Um, yeah, this is very high touch. Recruiting is is the way forward and. Um, you know, you can't necessarily apply data and analytics to everything that you do. I, I am absolutely on the opposite side of the fence now. I, okay. uh, we have made such positive changes through the uh, analytics and provision of data that we now uh, have at Atlassian. We're starting to move into predictive analytics for, for recruiting, which is incredibly, um, incredibly valuable. Um, and I do believe that there is a there is a science to this, and I, and I've learned it a lot through watching some of my new leaders in and come and build their teams from scratch. So, a bit about Atlassian is um, when I joined, we were, we were under twelve hundred people. We're now over fifty five hundred perm, about and, and about fifteen hundred contractors on top of that. These are these are big numbers, and you have a lot of data points to work with here. A lot of data points, and my leaders who came in to build these recruiting teams, who would subsequently fuel that growth, um, came in with lots of different styles, and we hired people from all over the world to do this. But I think the thing I gained the most from the people that I employed and hired was their ability to really bring it down to uh, to a science in the way in which we put sourcing and recruiting together, for example, uh, and then the way that we wanted to success. So. Um, I feel like I have pivoted in my career to being more focused on the data and analytics piece, um, which has been a great change. And, and, and you know, the, the product organizations, for example, have been ha have had their, their, their heads in the data sandpit for four years. Right. That's the language that they speak. And I think as a recruiter, a way that you can meet them where they are is to start to talk their language more and to take an interest in you know, how how to provide data, for example. And, and recruiters often uh, quite rightly say, well, I don't understand how at my desk I can really meet that challenge. But 
you can you could you can work out quite quickly about how through its recruitment reporting or through your weekly recruiting email or whatever it is you can start to present things in a more data-centric fashion which will just mean less words uh and a little bit more information about your funnel for example I mean, it works both ways. I mean, the funnel is important too, especially like if you have hiring managers pushing back and they're saying, hey, I'm not seeing enough candidates. You could literally show them where the bottleneck, where the where the log jam is, where the issue is in the sourcing, even go back to it and say, hey, may, listen, maybe it's a sourcing issue. Maybe we didn't craft this job description the right way. Maybe we're not sourcing the right and partner with them instead of making it a blame game, right? changing the dynamic to be, as what you said earlier, to be a partnership and not not have that, you know, the the, the battle there that happens in so many organizations between recruiting and hiring. Agreed. And one of the best investments we've ever made, Adam, is in um, the LinkedIn Talent Insights tool. The reason it was a great investment was... Did Brenda get you a discount? <laughs> we'll talk about that. I'll have, have to check. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, um, the reason it was good is because it provoked questions and thought. So instead of what, you know, we have a tremendous amount of senior, hard to fill roles in difficult locations. Let's take Sydney, Australia. Right. Sydney, Australia, phenomenal place to live. I love it, lived there for two years, but it is not yet a huge tech ecosystem or hub. It's uh, and that's just, that's just, there's a huge, huge amount of demand, but the supply isn't there. We can take a little bit of a few years as, as colleges, get more STEM degrees and, and, and as people start to see Australia as a destination for technology, it'll start to change, but right now it's difficult. And the recruiters were just struggling to be able to put that into words and explain why they were unable to move through the funnel fast enough and that we needed to find different solutions, but they, they, needed, they needed help and, and information and data to be able to paint that picture. And what LinkedIn Talent Insights did was provided the recruiters an ability to say, hey, there's only 12 of these people in Sydney. Six of them are in this place. Two of them are here. This is why they won't move. This organization is doing great with its stock price, so it's going to be difficult to pull people out. And just suddenly you're starting to have just a very, very different conversation with your hiring manager. And you're removing the tension that sits between the two individuals, right? right. And I call it the concept of third partying is – What's your third party piece of information? Well, it's about the market and you present it well. the market. It's, this Correct. is not, uh, this is, this is factual data. These are numbers. Yeah. And then you can't argue with them. Like here, here's the market. We've identified the market. Here are the folks that are qualified. Here's where they work. Here's why they may or may not make a move. And now you've narrowed down, you know, to this small little percentage that you can either laser focus on or say, Hey, the juice is not worth the squeeze. We need to look for other options. hundred percent. Hundred percent, and we've actually now built a team, a physical team around that tool, and that team's goal is essentially to conduct difficult market research for those hard to fill roles, uh, help us as we look in, look at the new geographies we, we may want to go to, um, help us identify pools of talents in geographies we didn't didn't know were there, and so um, we've really started to take uh, this theme of data in and infuse it into all of the recruiters um, so that they start to feel it, uh, it as, a, as a responsibility. And I, I truly believe once a recruiter leaves Atlassian, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be better for it because they'll be approaching their new role through a slightly different lens. No, that's fantastic. And let's shift the conversation to D&I. And I, and I think it's more of a buzzword. And, and you know, personally, I just hate, I mean, it's, it's amazing how it's taken center stage. I hate the reasons why. 
And I wish we were doing this long before that. So how are, how are you guys using data to inf inform and improve DNI within your organization? Uh, it's a good question. So I'd say from the recruiting standpoint, we're doing a lot around funnel uh, analysis. Uh, we're doing a lot of work within um, within talent insights to identify particular schools, etc. So we can better inform our sourcing team. So really, we have put a huge emphasis on top of funnel and educating our sourcing teams as to how to build diverse pipelines. I'd then say I have a particular passion uh, at the to the focus on the grassroots piece. Um, so Atlassian is extremely involved or has been in the in the last year, and we'll continue to grow that effort in engaging with organizations that um, already provide uh, diverse groups of interns or grads to come and 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 start following the the program with us at Atlassian. And I I. I I want to keep that focus and that muscle in sourcing because I do believe that we can do so much better. But I also believe we have a responsibility as an organization to keep fueling the grassroots and to ensure that STEM careers tech and the technology industry in general is an attractive place for all people um, to, to aim for and to target as a, as a, as a place to, to, to really anchor their career. That's fantastic. And kudos for that. And and I I want to dig into something that might be a little controversial, but I'd love to get your take on it. And I will preface it in caveats so no one gets into trouble here. This is just a hypothetical and a, an example that I'm going to ask here. Historically, in my career, I've had situations where companies are looking to improve their diversity hires. We prevent, present diverse candidates. And then we always get into the conversation of, I need to hire the best qualified candidate. What happens if they're not a diversity candidate? And it's tough it's a double-edged sword here i what's 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 your position on this if if the best candidate available for the role is not a diversity candidate i'm i'm fortunate honestly that i that we haven't that we haven't been having that conversation exactly as you've painted it and i think it helps but with the training of recruiters and sources to prevent to prevent that issue arising by a pre presenting balanced slates when it comes to um, to, to the hiring manager's decision-making, right? Um, hiring managers need in 2020 and beyond to feel a responsibility to build balanced and diverse teams. Atlassian believes that. And it's going to be up to the recruiting teams to meet those hiring managers where they're at and educate them. That's a key point. And really do the work before that question even arises. Well said. That's going to start to make those types of questions and conversations absolutely irrelevant. And, and the same thing with biases too. I mean, how do we remove bias from sourcing? I mean, I always say it too, listen, every one of us as a human, we have biases. We're, we're, mm -hmm. we're environmental, the way we're brought up. Mm -hmm. It just is what it is to different extremes. Anybody who says they're not biased, in my opinion, is not being truthful. We all have some biases in one way or another. And, well, I've seen and, a, lot, and a lot of them are unconscious, which is- Exactly. And unconscious biases affect sourcing, whether it be you're looking at a candidate's name, you're looking at a region from where they are in the world, you're judging somebody based on a dialect. These things happen in the back of your brain. What are some of the best practices that you either put into practice now or you've seen in the industry to help remove biases in sourcing where it starts. I, I think if you haven't rolled out unconscious bias training across the organization, there's there, there's your first issue. So I think there are plenty of training modules out there to, to help. Uh, and then very on hand, very hands-on leadership. 
right? I think if we're going to change, if we're going to help put a mirror up to some of these biases for people, we're going to have to um, spend the time and help people work through people and their thought process and their sourcing processes and their sourcing outcomes to help demonstrate where we feel the biases may come. And that what, what that is, what that means is leaders are going to have to make it generally across the industry are going to have to make it their personal, um, you know, goal and objective to ensure that they are, uh, you know, primed to be able to spot biases, unconscious or conscious, wherever they see them. And so, um, I mean, our conscious bias training is, is number one with a focus on it, but then how do you, you know, you could attend a 45 minute training and then see no change. What's the action planning around? What's accountability, right? What's the measurement and the accountability around that? And to your point, it starts with self-awareness, being able to say, okay, well, I didn't know I was biased about that. Understanding what your unconscious biases are so you're able to affect them and be aware of them and not let them affect your work or your decision-making process. Now, it's fascinating. And again, it's not just a 45-minute training. It's ongoing. And there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be slips and things are going to fall through the cracks. But as a leader, if they stay on top of that and they hold their teams accountable, we'll start to see real change in progress within the industry. Agreed. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's talk about the the bear in the room, the COVID bear, the evil, evil COVID bear. Um, how much of, of the current workforce at Atlassian is is remote? And that's going to kind of inform the question of how that's affecting your, your hiring and onboarding process. 100% of our workforce is remote today. Uh, we made that decision at the beginning of March, and we are sticking with it. Our original, originally, we uh, said we were coming back to the offices uh, January 2020, uh, sorry, 2021. Uh, but we have now launched Team Anywhere, uh, which is essentially um, offering the ability for people to work from where it suits them. With any big announcement like this, there's, of course, a lot of work that goes into the background, oh, uh, tax compliance, legal perspective. So we're working through all that stuff now. But our North Star is that we want to provide our employee, uh, we want to be the company that essentially allows our employees to work from where it works for them personally, mm-hmm. right? So um, that's kind of the COVID journey throughout. We have onboarded uh, over a thousand people um, since we went remote and that's that has fantastic. been no light lift. So I'm um, the teams that work on onboarding and recruiting in general are, in my opinion, second to none and have really done it seamlessly we went remote overnight and um it is an issue we 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 have we have found uh that we're still able to attract candidates at a great pace and we have found that the way that we have reacted to employees and our employee population during covid which has been empathy first understanding listening has really helped us um, continue to attract gate, great candidates. Um, so I would say that COVID, of course, is an issue and has been an issue for us and, and us and so many others. Um, but we feel like we have weathered that storm reasonably well. I think now it's about, okay, you know, I, you, it's a game of two halves. Half one was keep the match going right. whilst we're all shifting, right? But then how you win the championship is a completely different a different different story and winning the championship is is going to be an, an ongoing uh, an ongoing play to ensure oh. that you can t- you can continue to run all these processes at scale but then what needs to change how are we evaluating 
people's ability to work from home in the correct manner. You that's know, a whole that's, other, that's a whole other hour of conversation, man. It's a million dollar question. So um, it's something that we are excited, excitedly uh, pursuing as an avenue of research. Do are, are our assessment programs today fit for purpose for remotees? Um, you know, I would hazard a guess at no. It's tough because not everybody, not everybody A is equipped to, to work from home. Not everybody wants to work from home. And some people, and I would fashion to say, especially younger folks in their career, really need, you know, that that physical interaction and guidance and mentorship in an office for the accountability factor. I mean, we don't have enough data points as far as timeline of what this looks like from a productivity for a productivity curve. And I think generally speaking, we saw productivity high in the beginning. Everyone was excited to be home. I'm just speaking generally. Then we started to level off where we're kind of at now. And now we're seeing a lot of dips. We're seeing burnout where people have worked their asses off so much that they're just completely burnt out. And then we're seeing another piece as well too, which I see on my front is a lack of decompression time. People literally going from their desk in their house right to family time. And we forget about that, that a lot of folks too, that commute time, that time in between work, was there time to turn off, decompress, leave the work behind them. And there's just so many factors that go into that. And on top of that, from a skills evaluation, when you're interviewing folks, trying to really understand and score people, are they going to be able to work in this environment moving forward? I mean, it's a complete wild west, you know, white space out there. It is. It is. And, you know, my heart goes out to, to, to people who find themselves in, in scenarios which has made it difficult to get their work done. Um, for me, certainly, I completely underestimated how much I enjoyed the 30 minutes at either side of my day. Exactly. That's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> to listen to your podcast exactly. or to, uh, to, you know, listen to listen to a book or whatever. I, I, I didn't I just completely underestimated it. And um, it's been time. very difficult to 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 blend in home and home and office. And I think we will continue um, to, to, to see workforces um, react in different ways as this thing goes on. Uh, and I feel that, you know, there is a new, uh, very, uh, blaring responsibility, glaring responsibility, I should say, uh, of us ensuring that we are, um, looking at things through the mental health, health lens, 100%. Um, a, a lot more than we ever have. And I know some organizations have been brilliant with the mental health muscle, uh, and, and building that, that care. Uh, way before COVID. But I think a lesson that we can learn during this is, wow, mental health is something that needs to be top of the agenda. And we need to ensure that as we're building processes and we're thinking about policies and we're leading our people, right. that we are managing with empathy and we're understanding that one size will not fit all 100%. as this continues. I mean, my question, I mean, that's, that's a tremendous perspective and, and kudos on that one. But the other piece I, I ask is, you know, the culture element, the culture in any organization is really, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this, there's tons of great remote companies out there that do it well, but how do you keep culture alive without the physical interaction? How do you keep the vibe of a company, the people? I mean, how do you keep that thread vibrant and engaged that all these companies are not just going to look the same that provide a service or a vendor? And how do you have an identity as an organization that people want to work for? It's a, it's a good question. So we are in a unique, uniquely um, fortunate position because we acquired a company called Trello team about three, four yeah. years ago. Trello was 100% remote, pretty much. Um, they had an office uh, and they would attend the office at times. Some people were based in the office, but even the people who were in the office would work in small, um, small little hubs. 
And so even if you were on a call with someone, you were on a call with five people and one of them was in the office, they would they would be working off their laptop so it looked like they were remote. Interesting. I explain this for the context that some organizations don't know any different. And they have managed to build tremendous cultures as they've worked remotely. Now they have a fortunate piece is that everyone knew what they were joining and so they were flying the flag from the beginning. Right. It's not so easy to translate that for organizations that have really based and built their culture around physical locations uh, or around the benefits that they provide that allow people to socially interact. The creative collaboration, the elements, the actual workspace itself, those awesome office spaces that people vibe to. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but we've got to find a way around it. And that, you know, that is that is the gap, Adam. You know, you talked about white space. There's huge white space here. And I'm excited for uh, I'm excited to see newcomers into the HR tech ecosystem and to the tech ecosystem in general to help us work on solving that problem. Now, Atlassian has done plenty of things like we'll do um, walk this way challenge where you join a team that you don't know and you you go you do a certain amount of steps as you're talking to your colleagues and you build, build that way or we'll like a walk and um, talk. Yeah, we'll do get we'll do various gatherings on Zoom, but I'm not one to force our poor employees back into Zoom sessions to socialize when they've just been on ten during their day. Yeah, right. Um, so Zoom you know, fatigue. There, yeah, there, there's there's ways and means of, of getting it done, but I, I feel like really having a think about what is what are the the the, the building blocks of your culture anyway them really putting them through the litmus test of how much can that not be done remotely is a really, really good first stage. Yeah, tremendous there. So let's thank you so much. I mean, it's been incredibly insightful. So let's bring it home and let, let's let's get to know Rob a little bit here. Let's get to know the, the, the Rob behind the Robert Allen here, if you don't mind. And I always love to start off with this one. What is the greatest piece of advice, professionally or personally, it doesn't matter, the greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life, Rob? I've got to go back to the strong opinions loosely held uh, because I find myself in debates a lot um, that would, um, you know, could lend itself, especially in a fast paced environment to someone coming in and just making a decision because it's how they believe it should happen and not taking the time to understand the circumstances and the consequences. So I'd pick that one. Um, my dad always used to say, start every, start every conversation and interaction with a smile. I like that one. I wish I could adhere to it throughout, <laughs> um, but uh, that's, that stayed with me as well. I, I love it, man. And what would you say to date is your greatest professional accomplishment? Oh, that's a good question. Honestly, it's hiring the team that I have. Um, they are, we are, we are close in all the right ways. Uh, and collaborate in a way which I find to be incredibly efficient uh, and quite inspirational um, at, at times. So I, I would say bringing the team that I have got now as my direct reports together uh, has been my biggest accomplishment. I love it. And I'd love to end the show on positivity. And we talk about server linings. I'd love if you could share you know, a personal server lining and one professional server lining that you've experienced over the last eight months. So my personal silver lining is that I have spent more time living in the moment. Um, my partner will tell you that I'm a warrior. Uh, I'm always a year ahead in my thoughts. 
and that doesn't always lends its, uh, lend itself well to enjoying uh, what is around you at that at any given point. Now you layer in COVID, where we don't know what's happening next week, and you know you don't you don't have an ideal situation. So, I would say the silver lining of of, of this for me personally has been to learn to live in the moment better. From a professional standpoint, um, the silver lining for me is that we have just been put through the most vicious and extensive eight month, nine month test that we ever could have been put through. And we're out the other side. So there is absolutely nothing that we can't accomplish internally. And I'm very bullish with that because I do believe that um, recruiting as a craft, once you've decided that it's not for you anymore, there's so much more to give. And I feel like, um, you know, after this eight months we've been through, I'm pushing my recruiting leaders to look around them and work out what else they would want to do within HR because I truly have the confidence that they've just pulled us through uh, that very tough moment. Uh, and and that, sil that silver lining, the sil my professional silver lining is that. You know, so many, so many true colors. And, and thank you for sharing that. And Rob, last but not least, you know, you look back on the tough times in your life, the tough times in your career, where you've had to pull yourself up, right? And you've had to harness that tenacity, that drive, that inside that really lights your fire and keeps you going. On the flip side of that, relating to so many things that you just spoke about, when you want to show gratitude and you're grateful for everything that you've accomplished and have in your life, Rob Allen, what is your North Star? What is your compass? I, I I feel like it's, it's changed, Adam. I feel like my North Star now is more people-related along the lines of people will remember what you said, they'll remember how you made them feel. And I feel like through my career, I have found myself in positions where we needed to get shit done fast, we needed to move quickly, and I don't believe I always had uh necessarily all people at the forefront of um of what i was doing and i i didn't always employ the the, the necessary tools to do that so maybe my north star now is to ensure that i am creating the right organizations for people to be the most successful while taking into account what they need personally and professionally i love it and we'll end with that rob allen thank you for joining us today uh, fascinating conversation, incredible career. I love your story. I hope that we could stay connected and uh, continue to build our relationship in any way that I could add value and help you out. Rob, where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and if you search Atlassian on YouTube, there's quite a few videos on there of the team and, and all of our recruiting activities, et cetera. Um, but please, yeah, do reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I've got an open profile and always, always excited to connect. And also a big shout out to Julia, your EA, who has been a tremendous help in this process. She's, uh, she's fantastic. So quick shout out to, to her over there. Superstar. Yeah. Awesome. Thank and thank you. you for joining us. And everyone who spent 42 minutes and 22 seconds with us on this podcast, thank you so much for your time. And I really hope that you gain value insights. Uh, and please reach out to Rob Connect. He's awesome. Check out some of his content. You know where to find more of our content, thepodcast.com, available on all social media channels. At this point, I hope you know where to find it. If you like this show, leave a review rating. It helps us out. Remember to wash your hands, look out for each other, stay six feet apart, and catch us next week for another great episode of The Podcast. To join the conversation, search The Podcast on LinkedIn.
and to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.